again for this last one, and I didn't have it ready and clean today, so I couldn't wear it. But So the spiritual warfare, I like this like image. For those of you who are Star Wars fans, know that that is part of the rebels. And uh, it reminds me of the beginning of the New Testament with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, as the Christians began to share the gospel. The Pharisees and the Jewish people looked at the Christians as rebels, right? They had their traditions and their ways of doing things, their religious ways, but they didn't acknowledge that Jesus had come to fulfill to those prophecies. So we've been looking at this, though, from a spiritual warfare standpoint because they are fighting up in the space. But for us, we have spiritual things happening in the atmosphere all around us. And we can't see it, but that doesn't mean it's not there. It's kind of like the wind, right? You can't see the wind, but you can feel the effects of the wind. And so we can feel the effects of the spiritual atmosphere around us. Like I've said before, most of us have, you know, gone down a dark alley at night or been in a room or a situation where somebody walks in and all of a sudden you just feel the atmosphere change. You can, just, you can just sense it in the spirit. And we forget that as beings, we're spiritual beings, but we have a body and we also have a soul. And we are made in God's image and God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Son was the body, the physical body that came down. The Holy Spirit, obviously, is the Spirit of God. And then the Father God is that soul, that emotion. That's the part we connect with. Jesus came so that when we pray, we can say, Father God, our Father who art in heaven. And that's the relationship part. Well, now, we as human beings, sometimes it's hard to understand what's the difference between our spirit and our soul, Mary. Well, your body is obviously physical. It's what you're doing. It's your decisions here on earth. That's all in response to our body. And if you've been following along with the spiritual warfare series, last Sunday I preached on spiritual warfare and how our body and our choices here on earth affect that spiritual warfare. But the week before that, when I had preached on this, we talked about our spirit. Now the spiritual realm is that's our authority that we have here on earth, but it's the authority we have in the spirit and if we believe in Jesus, we receive his Holy Spirit, and we receive the right to use the name of Jesus. So when demonic spirits, demons, um, just different things, and we looked kind of through the scriptures at all the different times that Jesus used that authority, and he gave us that authority, all the verses where he then gave the new believers that authority to use the name of Jesus, when he used that. About a third of the time when people came to him for healings, he said, demonic spirit, go. He didn't have to say in the name of Jesus because he was Jesus. But we see in the book of Acts when the disciples would do that, they would say, go in the name of Jesus. Now, why is about a third of the problems spiritual problems? Because we're one-third spirit, right? And so... There are some times when the spiritual warfare going around us, the crisis around us, is caused by a demonic influence. And when I pray with people, they'll always say, well, how do you know? Do, how do you know when somebody comes to you for healing, Mary, if it's demonic or if it's a physical healing? And I say, sometimes I don't know. Sometimes it's very clear, like after talking to the person, where it seems like it might be a spiritual matter. But it only takes me like an extra 10 seconds to pray either way. In the name of Jesus, if there's anything demonic that is affecting this person's health, go in the name of Jesus. And if this person needs healing, then Father God, I ask you in the name of Jesus to bring healing. Be healed. So it's just one more step in our prayers. And since we are spiritual and we know we have that authority, it doesn't hurt to do that. When I go into somebody's home and anoint it with oil and I pray over their home, I pray for peace and I pray for prosperity over that home and I pray for blessing over that home. And then I also go around and say, if there's anything demonic in this home, you must leave in the name of Jesus. And then I'll put a bloodline of Christ around that home. Sometimes I'll take a bottle of oil if it's a new home and I'll go around the whole outside of the home with a bottle of oil and let it drip. And just, why do we use oil? Because oil doesn't just wash away easily, right? The oil will sit there, it'll soak in. 
It's not water soluble. It just will stay there. And oil would always be represented in the, especially in the Old Testament, but even into the New Testament, as a representation of God's anointing over a situation. So even in the New Testament, it says, if those are sick among you, go to the elder, elders of the church and have them anoint you with oil. So I will physically go and with my physical body do a prayer and put some oil on there, but I will also tell the spiritual part of it if there's anything demonic to leave. Then I'll call in angels. A lot of times we don't talk about the angels or think it's like taboo to, to really go into that because there are some warnings in the Bible about angel worship because this was spiritual stuff was all new to the disciples and the Christians in the New Testament. And so some of them would, if they had an angel encounter, would make like kind of like a shrine or an altar in that area. And so the, the dis- Christians were reminded, you don't worship the angels, but the angels are part of God's form of blessing us. And so we can, it says the angels are ministering spirits for the Christians. So we can ask the angels to come into a home and to bring guardian angels, right? The Bible talks about guardian angels and having them posted on the four corners of your property or in your home. Because when those demonic spirits want to come in, those angels can fight those spiritual battles for you. So we've talked about the spiritual end of it. We've talked about our physical decisions. So last week when we talked about that, I said sometimes, you know, Reality is here on earth, earthly consequences have earthly pain. So if we're smoking cigarettes for 40 years and then wondering why we have lung cancer, that's just a reality that we know that these things can cause us problems while we're here on earth. If if I boil up some hot potatoes, right, and then I pull it forward and let that water come all over me, I'm not going to be wondering why did I get burned, right? It was a physical reaction to that. Now that doesn't mean because I made a mistake and smoked the cigarettes for 40 years or I pulled boiling hot water on me, either situation, I'm still allowed to ask God for healing. But I shouldn't be surprised why I'm going through a spiritual battle that week, especially in my mind with the pain, right, that I'm going through. So we talked about the fact that some of our spiritual battles are literally consequences of our actions or somebody else's actions. But since we are a three-part being, today we're going to talk about our soul. Now, I used to always confuse the soul with the spirit and think that it's just kind of all the same thing. But our soul is unique. Our soul is our emotions and our emotions in connection with our relationships with people here on earth. Our spirit is our connection with God the Father and with the spiritual happenings around us like calling in the angels or telling the demons to leave. So our spirit is our connection to the spirit world and our soul is our connection with our relationships and people here on earth. Does that make sense? I'm not sure, Eric, am I coming out of the monitors? I feel really loud tonight. Okay. I, okay. Yeah. Well, I can hear them, but I just didn't know if I was in the monitors or not. So we have the soul, which is connecting to the people around us and our emotions. So sometimes the spiritual battles we're going through, we, we think it's spiritual. We think, well, there's a demon that is coming and putting depression on me. When really, maybe I just got a huge argument with my spouse or with my sister-in-law or with whoever, and I'm depressed about a conversation I had with a person here on earth. Now, don't get me wrong. Satan doesn't say, oh, she's had a bad day. I'm going to leave her alone today. No. That's why this is part of the spiritual warfare series, right? When we have something going on in our soul and our relationships and our emotions with other people, that's a prime time for Satan to come in and kick us while we're down. Because he doesn't say, oh, she's having a bad day. I'm going to leave her alone. No. He says, oh, she's having a bad day. Let's go double force against her. And the issue that most people run into is when your soul is down, or even if your body is in physical pain, and then then it causes our emotions to go down, all of a sudden, it's hard to rise up in spiritual authority and say, demons, you have to leave. 
And that, my friends, is why the Bible is very clear about when you're having a rough day, you call the elders of the church and have them come over in and anoint you with oil because there are times when we just can't do it ourselves. It's kind of like saying, like, you know what? I have no problem making sure that, um, let's say your laundry is down in your basement and you can go down to the basement and do your laundry. But one day you break your leg. All of a sudden now you can't get down in the basement and do your laundry anymore and you've got to ask somebody for help. So when you know that there is soul issues going on, that is when you've got to speak up and ask your friends or ask the elders of the church or ask your spouse for help. So many times, though, we're told you don't talk about those things, especially the older you get. seems like the younger you are, they're a little bit more apt to say, hey, man, I'm really depressed right now, or hey, man, I'm going through a really hard time. But the older we are, I think it was just a different way we were raised. It was like you didn't want anybody to know you had problems. You didn't want them to think you're crazy, or you, had, you, know, you didn't talk about going to a counselor or a therapist, or there was like this stigma around it. So we have to talk about it as Christians, as a, as a family of God, and say there are times when your soul, your emotions, maybe whether it be because of a relationship issue or because of a physical issue in your body, maybe you're going through cancer and you're super depressed. You need to have, that's when you need to have people stopping by every day to help you or to talk to you or to make sure you're doing okay. Some things are pretty obvious. I mean, if your spouse all of a sudden has a heart attack and dies, you know that your friends know, like, oh my gosh, we got to check on her. You know, and they might call each other and say, who's checking on her tomorrow and who's checking on her the next day? But if there is an emotional issue happen, it's not quite as obvious. And so we have to speak up and we have to say something. That way we know that we're not alone. If we were to go into a battle when Ukraine had Russia invade, they didn't go in alone. They said, hey, everybody, we need help. And all the different countries either sent over ammo or soldiers or whatever they did to help them. And the spiritual battle is no different. So the soul is our emotions. It is our relationship issues. It is how we respond while we're here on earth to those around us. Our spirit is how we respond to heavenly things and to spiritual matters. But our soul affects us greatly. And our soul affects whether or not we can respond appropriately in the spirit realm. Because if our soul is feeling depressed or feeling anger and rage, you're not necessarily making the right decisions. So what does the Bible say about all this? The Bible talks about our soul. If we look here in the book of Psalms, and there's so many verses, you guys, I mean, I go over it as it is. You don't want to know how long I could sit here and preach if I looked at all, all these verses. So we'll just, we're getting the highlights today. But in Psalms 42, verse 10, I love this little passage because the first thing I want to talk about is when our physical body is in pain, how it affects our soul. So it says, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Oh, isn't that powerful? He's saying, my bones are in mortal agony. I've got foes who are taunting me. Why, soul, are you downcast right now? Oh, I wonder why. Can you guess? <laughs> Mortal agony. Oh, I'll be honest. I've had four kids. I've had multiple surgeries. I'm not sure I can ever say that I've been in mortal agony. I can't imagine four or 5,000 years ago what mortal agony felt like without any uh, morphine or pain drugs or morph Motrin or Tylenol, at least when I've had times of pain, I, they got, we're, I was having my babies, I wasn't like, oh, I want to be all natural. I'm like, uh-oh, what do you got? What do you got? Let's go. Let's go. I wouldn't have my kidneys removed without a pain meds. I don't want this baby taken out of me without some pain meds here. So mortal agony in a time with no medicine. And he wonders why his soul is so downcast. And he's trying to encourage himself. Why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. It's interesting because he's talking about his soul. He's talking about how his emotions for his soul, how it's so disturbed, how it's so downcast. We would use the word depressed. There's so many examples of when someone's soul was depressed. We're going to look at one of them today, but Job, Jonah, I could go on and on and on and on. But he says, I will put my hope in the Lord. Ooh, that's good. We're going we're gonna to look at, say, like, why sometimes that is the answer. And that's part of our spiritual warfare, right? If all of a sudden I believe there's someone stronger than me, then I've got hope, and my soul can then transition from being focused on my problems to focused on where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. So we see that our soul can become downcast, and when your soul is down, your emotions are down, perpetually down, all of a sudden you don't respond to your relationships the way you normally do, do you? All of a sudden, you know, I'm depressed or my soul is downcast about this situation over here and I'm screaming at my kids. Why? Am I mad at my kids? No. I'm mad about the situation, but my soul is down and so now my relationships, everything's affected. Why all of a sudden am I being critical at work? Well, because I'm depressed. When your soul is down, it affects your response to everybody around you because your soul, some people call it your personality, your, um, your thoughts, your heart, right? It's really hard for us to try to describe it. But, but we all know what I mean, right? You, you can't tell me when you're in a really, really bad mood that you're able to respond the way you really wish you would respond. It's hard. Now, is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, there's some people that are really good about it. Like, you would never know. They're going through a hard time. They can put a smile on their face. But if they were honest and they looked back, they might have said, yeah, I might have handled that a little bit differently. Even though it was an okay response, I was not on my A game that day. So I'm going to talk to you about somebody who physically, in the physical world, what he just did, was excellent, was awesome. Spiritually, in the spiritual world, what he just did was amazing. But his soul, his soul was not good. And I'm going to tell you why. So here's, here's the summary, because I could read chapters on this and we're not. There is a prophet in the land of Israel. All right? His name was Elijah. And there was a king, his name was King Ahab, and he was a bad dude. He's married to Jezebel, and she is from a different culture that worships a different god, a pagan god. And she marries King Ahab, and she wants the Israelites to stop worshiping Jehovah and instead to worship Baal, all right? And so she has gone out and tried to kill all of the priests and all of the Levites and to destroy the temple, and she wants all of the Israelites to follow this pagan god. And Elijah, who is a prophet of God, is like, oh, you, and so he ends up calling all of the Israelites that were in that area, because obviously they couldn't get all of them at one place at one time, but he calls them all over. And he says, I've had enough of this. That's an idol, and that is nothing. We serve the living God. And so today is the day for all of you people to choose. I don't care what the king says. I don't care what that queen says. We're gonna, I'm going to show you today that Jehovah is real. And so he says to all of these pagan king, worshipers and priests that she had, she says, I'm going to show you up. This is what we're going to do. Here is an altar. Cut up an ox and put it on it. And ask your God to light it on fire that you're giving him a sacrifice. When you're done, I will have a turn. You've got all day to get that thing light up on fire. Let your God show you that he can do that. So that's what he did that morning. And it starts here in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 23. So this was in the morning. They kept, he kept saying, you call him, call him, see what's going to happen. And we started up here. It says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. 
he said. Surely Baal is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. We call that cutting. It's nothing's new under the sun. This is how these people worshipped their God and got his attention, was by cutting. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Why? Because that was not a God. We all know that. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me, and they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sheaves of seed. And he arranged the wood and cut the bowl into pieces and laid it on the wool, wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. It also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize those prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them all, and Elijah had them brought down to the Skirnon Valley and slaughtered them there. That's pretty cool. I'm sorry, I'm not into, like, violence, but I'm just saying, like, at that time, that was pretty cool. They had all day to call out to their God. They didn't even put water on their stuff. Nothing happened. He calls on the Jehovah, and he takes care of business immediately. The people are now all rallied behind Elijah. They see that they were being led astray. They help him. They gather all the bad guys up, and they kill him. You would think Elijah's on top of the world. You would think when you get a brand new car that you've been hoping for, you'd be on top of the world. You'd think when all of a sudden you got the job you've been hoping for that you'd be on top of the world. But sometimes your soul still has issues, doesn't it? Sometimes what you thought was going to make everything okay isn't enough. And you don't know, why am I still not happy? In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, now remember this is the evil queen, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And it says Elijah was afraid. Isn't that crazy? Hello? You just had the God of the universe burn up all this fire and water and thing, and you just got the entire group of Israelites with you to back you up and to kill all the bad guys, and you're worried about Jezebel, and you're afraid. All of a sudden, what was very confident in his God now has turned. What has happened? Let's just be real. He had a long day. He had a long emotional day and a physical day where he was on his feet all day taunting. I mean, it takes some effort to taunt them. Go louder, go louder. A lot of emotional effort. I mean, I haven't spent all day taunting someone, but I can imagine I've taunted maybe a little bit here and there, even if it's just the dog, you know. You're going to get it? You're going to get that cat? Right? There's energy it takes to do that. 
And he slaughtered them all. I mean, there's a list somewhere in this, these chapters here of how many there were, but I think at least 100. If you had a sword and you had to cut off or kill 100 people, that would take some effort. I'm just saying. I don't know because I've never done it, but I would assume that you'd have to be plunging and lifting and cutting and slashing, and that would take some effort. Why am I bringing that up? Because how can you go from being that high spiritually and physically to all of a sudden now you're afraid? Because sometimes we need to rest. Sometimes we need to understand that our emotion and our soul gets tired, even though everything else is going good around us. It says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judea, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. We call that suicidal thoughts. He was so depressed, and he was so afraid, he wanted to die. He, was, he asked God to bring fire down and lick up all the water in this trench. He knows that his God can hear his prayers and do what he asks. And his next request is, let me die. That, my friend, is said, that is my soul is downcast. Because spiritually, he knew the truth, and he just took care of business. And physically, he was just able to kill 100 guys with a sword, so we know he was in shape. He ran for his life. So this wasn't like some 120-year-old man who could barely hobble over, right? This guy, he's physically in a good shape. He spiritually knows the truth. But his soul, his soul wants to die. says that, he sat down under it and prayed that the Lord that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Have you ever said that? Have you ever I've had enough. Can't take this anymore. Aren't we glad God doesn't answer those prayers? <laughs> I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. I don't think he needed to die. I think he needed a nap. Come on. Some of y'all, you just need a nap. When, you get, when your two-year-old is cranky and starts screaming and have a tantrum and you look at the clock and it's 1.30 in the afternoon, you don't say, he just needs to die. I mean, he can't get his life together. I don't know how he can't take anymore. He's had enough. No, what do you do? You say, you need a nap. And you pick up that screaming, crying, sassy little one-and-a-half-year-old, and you go put them in their bed, and you shut the door. Sometimes you stand there, and you hold it till the crying stops, and you realize, okay, they're laying in front of the door sleeping. I'm going to leave them there, and you walk away. And if you were a smart mama, you go lay down on the couch, and you take a nap when they're napping. Just saying. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Because Elijah just needed a nap. So I cannot stand up here today and tell you that your soul is going to cause some of the spiritual warfare problems in your life because you're not going to respond the way you should and not tell you that sometimes your soul needs a nap. But it's the truth. I mean, I'm going to read a few as we keep going, but you know how many verses in this Bible talk about your soul needing rest? That is the only prescription for your soul other than trusting in God. It's trusting in God and rest. Trust in God, rest. Trust in God, rest. That's, that's the answer for the soul issues. It says that he fell down, or he went down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Now, I'm not going to make this like a theological thing, but I'm just saying carbs. Some of us need to have a piece of bread. Some of us have been cutting out the carbs, trying to lose weight, and then we wonder why we're cranky. But they brought him bread. I'm just saying. Have anybody ever been on one of those low-carb diets? Yep. And after a while, you're like, all you can think about is bread. I mean, you're like, maybe that and french fries, but I'm just saying, usually it's bread. I can't get over it. I'm like, I don't think I eat that much bread. And then when you, as soon as you tell you can't have it, you're like, where's the bread? 
you need a snack, too. You need a nap and a snack. Okay, we're, we're nap, we need a snack. All right. He laid down again. So he needed a second nap. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he had reached Horeban, the mountain of the Lord. And then he went into the cave and spent a night. Hmm. So for 40 days, they had him travel away from Jezebel. Why? Because she was going to kill him. And God wanted to save his life. But before he could handle that journey, they had to make sure that he rested and that he ate. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites rejected your covenant and tore down your altars, and they put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Now here we're getting to the core of some of the soul issues. Not only was he tired and needed a snack, he felt alone. But let's be real. It said he left his servant at one point and kept going. So he had people with him. And when you're depressed, what do you do? You leave them behind. Because if you're depressed and your soul is downcast, you're like, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. And that's why we as Christian brothers and sisters need to say, no, now is the time when you need somebody the most. Because Satan is going to whisper in your ear and say, see, you're all alone. Nobody cares. So you need a friend. You need a nap. You need a snack. I'm telling you, this is sounding like kindergarten. I mean, really. I mean, you get snack time. You get nap time. You're supposed to be nice to your new friends. I think sometimes we grow up and we think, well, I'm all an adult now. I can do it all on my own. No, you still need your nap. You still need a snack. And you still need your friends. He said, I'm all alone. They're trying to kill me. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, that's kind of odd that all of a sudden they're recording this and telling us that. Why is that? We sometimes think that God has to come and change our depression in a big, miraculous, huge way. There has to be an earthquake. My whole world has to shake for me to snap out of it. There has to be this huge fire that comes in and burns away everything that's causing me my problems. There has to be this huge wind that blows through. No, we're looking for something big. We're waiting for something big to happen. And it says God was in that little whisper. See, that whisper is with us no matter what. He doesn't have to change something big. He just has to listen. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for you, the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. I love this. He repeated the exact same thing. God's like, you already told me that. Why are you here? Well, let me tell it to you again. When you're depressed and when you're downcast and your focus is at your problems, what do you do? You keep repeating that story to everybody who will listen. Oh, I know I told you yesterday, but let me tell you about my problems today. Yeah, they haven't changed, but I'll tell you the same story again. Why? Because Satan wants us when we're depressed and downcast to let that be our only thing we say, the only thing we focus on. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when your soul is downcast and you're depressed, you're going to speak out what your heart is focused on. So he said it again. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazaz, king over Abram. Also anoint Jahal, son of Nishash, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the Jahav from El, I can't even say half these, to succeed you as prophet. Jahal will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jahal. Yet I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. 
So what is God's answer to his story over and over and over again? I'm alone. They want to kill me. And he's like, get up, go back, go tell this one that he is now king over this area. Tell this one he's now king over this area. Tell this one he's going to be the prophet to succeed you because you've already announced that you're done, you want to die, you don't want to do this anymore. And understand that there's over 7,000 priests that I have saved one of the main guys who was pretending like he was with King Ahab and agreeing, we find out if you read through the whole book of Kings there, he had actually hid them away in caves and had been feeding them and taking care of them. When he had gotten the order to have everybody killed, he went and he found 7,000 of them and he went and hid them in caves. So God's response is, don't stay here and be continuously depressed. You've had your nap, you've had your snack. Now go find your friends. And he says that any of them that this guy doesn't take care of and kill, this guy will kill. And any of them that escape that are going to come after you to kill you, this guy will take care of it. He's saying, look, not only am I giving you friends and telling you you're not alone, but these guys are going to stand up and help you. So what do we do when our soul is downcast? First thing we've got to ask ourselves is say, do I just need some rest? Does my mind need to shut down? Do I need to stop what am I focusing on? Do I need a snack? Do I need to call up some friends and have them help me, be praying for me, help me shift my focus? And maybe I need to tell them, hey, we need help. There's an enemy over here. Let's go kill it. So physically exhausted or spiritually exhausted or even just in relationships, right? You're, you're in a relationship where somebody, you feel like they're going to try to kill you, right? Whether it's your spirit or whatever. Those things will cause your soul to be downcast. And when your soul is downcast, you can't fight the spiritual battles because you don't even have the strength to say in the name of Jesus, go. Because all you want to do is die. So we have to make different decisions. I love this here in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said you will not walk in it. So he's telling these people, like, you're wondering why you don't have rest for your souls. You're wondering why you're having all these problems. Go and look for the ancient paths. Find the good way to go. I love that. Sometimes it's our decisions. Well, I need to do it. This is the new way of doing it, Mary. This is, I, I need to, you know, this is how I'm going to handle this situation or this relationship. Sometimes the old way is the good way. Sometimes God's word really is true. Sometimes you just need to make a different decision, and then you will find rest for your soul. But I love how, again, it's Rest. What is the response when we're having a soul issue and it's affecting the spiritual warfare around us? It's rest. In Psalms 23, you might have heard this Psalms before. A lot of people like quoting it. It's, it's a great psalm. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Have you ever heard that one before? I mean, it's a pretty classic one. We love that one. Isn't that one good? But let's, let's break it down. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. What is that rest? Why would you lie down in a quiet or in, in, a, in a green pasture? To take a nap. I mean, you don't just lay down. Just, I'm just going to lay here and look at the clouds for a while. Maybe you would. But I'll tell you what, I'd fall asleep. You lay down sometimes and rest. Why would you want to go by still waters? To, to rest, to reflect. So he's saying, look, you lead me in a path of not busyness. Sometimes we, I, there's been times in my life where people will say to me, how are you? And I say, busy. 
I mean, I mean, I've been convicted by this. There have been years of my life where that was the only response I could say and not feel like I'm lying. How are you, Mary? How's it going? I'm busy. How are you today? I'm busy. That's not a response. That's an action. But we live in this society where we're busy, 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 busy. When is it your time to rest? Now, obviously, we cannot every single day take a siesta. We don't live in a culture. Like, they do this in Spain and Italy and a lot of places where their lunch hour is two hours long and people are expected to take a nap. We don't live in a culture like that. But what is your day of rest? Why, did, why was one of the Ten Commandments to have a day of rest? Because God knew that you are going to run yourself ragged, and if you don't take one day out of the week and take a nap... Your soul will not handle it. Your body might physically be able to do it, but your soul isn't. You're going to start having a breakdown in your relationships and your emotions. You're going to be downcast. You're going to be depressed. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Rest. He says that he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. What is that? That's those decisions. Like I just read there in Jeremiah, how do I bring, you know, refreshing and rest to my soul? By making some better decisions. Sometimes you're just so busy, you're making the quickest, easy decision. And when you rest, I don't know about you, but when I have time of rest, all of a sudden I start thinking and I get better ideas. And I'm hearing that whisper of God's voice. And all of a sudden it's like, man, why am I dealing with it that way? I need to change my approach. I need to pick a better path. So when you're resting and you're taking time to hear that quiet whisper of God's voice, all of a sudden you can make, you're guiding along the right path. I love this. In verse 4 it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're not alone. You might feel like you're alone. You might feel like earthly you're alone. But you need to understand and know that you're not alone, that God is with you. And I love how it ends with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We need his rest. I know I'm already over and we still got communion to do, so I'm just going to end it with here in Matthew 11, verse 28. This was Jesus talking. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If your soul is heavy right now and is carrying a burden, it's because you have not given it to Jesus. You have not taken that situation and you have not handed it over to him. And you need to go to him. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What does that mean? You lay down your burden to him, and you take on his yoke. A yoke is what gives you direction. The yoke is what they would put on the oxen to give them direction. So when they pulled on the right thing, it would, the yoke would jerk them, their shoulders, their whole head, everything would then turn to the right and they would start walking in that way. When you put the yoke on you from Jesus, you're saying, okay, I'm going to put this on me. Now you tell me, do I take a right or a left here? Do I need to back up? Do I need to go faster? When you have his yoke on you, it means that you're saying, okay, I'm weary and I am burdened, I am not making good choices here, and I need rest, so you need to show me what to do. So I'm going to put on your yoke, and he says, my yoke is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And all of a sudden, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I gave it to Jesus. I'm just, he's telling me to go to the left and to not worry about it, so I'm going to go do that. This isn't easy. It's hard. You have to be, grab your snack, go lay down, ask the Lord, I, I, whisper to me, but tell me what to do here and rest. And say, here's the burdens I'm giving you. Maybe you write it down and you put it in a box and you shove it under your bed and say, okay, I gave it to you. 
Now tomorrow when I'm faced with that problem, I'm going to pause for a minute and say, which way do I go, right or left? This, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's, you know, they, they call them Christian disciplines, like the discipline of fasting, the discipline of like, you know, hearing God's voice, the discipline of like prayer, the discipline of knowing God's word. A discipline is something that you've trained and you've learned how to do. Like if I learned the discipline of karate, it takes years to master that. So I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying it's, it's you're able to do it. You're able to learn how to do this. You're able to go to him. It's a gift he gives you. He wants your soul to be at rest. He wants you to go to him when you're weary and burdened because you cannot handle the spiritual fight if you're trying to do it all on your own. And until you have learned the discipline of rest, you need to ask people around you to help you out. If I had to go to a karate fight and I have only got, what, a yellow belt or maybe still a white belt or whatever, but I, my instructor's a double black belt, and I'd be like, um, my neighbor's going to kick my butt tonight because of whatever. Can you come be my backup, right? And all of a sudden he shows up. Guess what? My neighbor's probably going to be like, eh you know what, you can park there whenever you want. I'm not going to worry about it. So when Satan comes and he's trying to beat you up and you're still just a yellow belt, you call on the elders of the church. You call on your friends. You say, hey, my soul is not at rest. I'm like Elijah and I want to lay down and die. I'm asking the Lord to let me die. So if Satan tries to come and kick my butt while I'm down, can you, can you watch over me? Can you protect me? I'm going to try to rest for a while, but will you get my back until I'm better? Because, see, Satan wants you to believe you're all alone and to keep your mouth shut and not go to God for help or anybody else for help. And I am telling you, you need to ask for help. You need to get through that moment because it's just a moment. It is not the end-all, be-all. Tomorrow is a new day. And when you're standing in life and you're saying, I'm having a spiritual battle in my life, Mary, and I told Satan to go in the name of Jesus and nothing has changed what you're telling me is garbage. It didn't work. I'm going to sit there and say, all right, if you did the spiritual part of it, now let's talk about your body. How are you feeling? Let's talk about your soul. Are you downcast? Are you depressed? Because it works. But that might not be what the problem is. Only a third of those who came to Jesus had demons cast out of them. The other two-thirds of the situations needed something different. And so your situation might fall under spiritual. That's why I'm going to teach you how to do it. Start with that. Then the next thing is going to be, where's your soul? Where's your body? What's going on with your decisions? And in the meantime, until you get it figured out, you ask for help. Number one, from God. And then number two, from the godly brothers and sisters around you that make up the family of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that... Your word makes it very clear that there is a spirit realm around us, that there are angels and demons, and that we do have a soul, and sometimes we get weary and burdened and we need rest, and that we do have a body, and sometimes there's mortal agony in our bones and we need healing. So Father God, help us in our decisions. Put your yoke upon us and whisper in our ear. And sometimes you need to shout. So go, we give you permission to shout at us when you really need to. And help us to hear you and obey. Because your burden is light. and Your way is easy. And we need to find an easier path. Be with us this week and help us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 I'm going to have the ushers come forward. We're going to have our communion tonight. The communion table is open to everyone who believes in Jesus. He, when he went to the cross the night before, he said, do this in remembrance of me. We do this in remembrance of what he did on the cross. So I'm going to just pray over this before they hand it out and consecrate it. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust in you. Amen. Amen. So we do this in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross. The children of Israel once a year would have a Passover meal to remember when God saved them from the Egyptians. And they 
took the lamb and they took the blood of the lamb and they put it over the doorposts of their home. And so you can get this prepared. Just go ahead and get the bread out and get the juice cup ready and then we'll take it all together. So instead of eating the meat of the lamb, what Jesus said is he took bread instead and he said, I am the bread of life. I love that. When he was first tempted in the wilderness, right before he started his ministry, he went out and was tempted. He fasted for 40 days, and Satan came to him and said, you're God. You can turn those rocks into bread. Why don't you do that? And he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but out of every word that comes from the mouth of God. So now he becomes our bread. Why would he say that? Because our bodies need bread. See, our souls, we need him. Our spirit needs to be covered by the blood so that way we know that we're cleansed and forgiven. So our spirit, when we go in the authority and Satan goes, oh, you're a sinner. How can you tell me to leave? You say, it's not my name. It's not my holiness. It's not my righteousness. I told you to leave in the name of Jesus because his blood was shed and his blood was holy and his blood makes me clean and forgiven and I can tell you to go. It's kind of like, you know, when the... uh, Secret Service goes into a goes into a you know a store and says everybody has to leave. Well, I'm not leaving just because Bob is telling me to leave. No, I'm here in the name of the president. He's going to be here in five minutes. I need you all to leave. Guess what? In the name of the president here in the U.S., he can make them all leave. So it's the same thing. We're using his blood and his forgiveness and his covering to come in and make our spirit clean. And we're taking his bread symbolically, his word. And we've just prayed the Holy Spirit to fill this, and we're letting it come into it for our soul. And then it says that, but when he did this on the cross in Isaiah 53, 5, it says that, you know, the punishment was put on his shoulders. By his straight wounds, we are healed. It says the punishment of peace, that brought us peace was on him. And we are forgiven for our iniquities and our transgressions. So when we do this in remembrance of what he did, we can remind ourselves that because of what Christ did, my body is healed, because by his wounds I am healed, that I can have peace for my soul, because the punishment that brought us peace was put upon him, and our sins are forgiven. And when Satan whispers and says, yeah, but you're still doing that sin day after day after day, you can remember, that's an iniquity. And it specifically says, I'm forgiven for my trespasses, which are those one-time sins, and our iniquities, which are the ones that we do over and over again. So this is a wonderful remembrance of what Christ did for us. And no, we're not perfect. But because of what he did, when we accept it and we take this in remembrance of him, we're saying we believe it. And we want those things to affect us in our lives. So in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. His body was broken for us. Let us take the bread. Father God, we thank you so much that when Jesus came, his body was broken for us. We receive healing. We receive forgiveness. And we receive that peace that you have promised us. We thank you. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us take the cup. Father God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Because we are forgiven, because of what he did, we can have a relationship with you and talk to you and receive your blessings and we can have spiritual authority and tell the demons to leave in the name of Jesus and to loose angels on our behalf and call them out in the name of Jesus. So we thank you for that and we receive it and we believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. We will be here again next Sunday at 6 o'clock. Please, you know, share on social media. Let your neighbors know that if they're looking for a community worship service, that we are here Sundays at 6 p.m. God bless.